listening to Dance Cinema Conversation with Laura Capelessa, editor of Dance Film Marmo, shot in Tuscany and inspired by the vision of Italian sculptor Michelangelo Buonarroti. Laura and I met in Venice to talk about her approach to editing the film, a process that began with an extensive research of Michelangelo's life and philosophies as a way to catch a sort of energy from his imaginative world, which she could then translate into the editing process. In ogni blocco di marmo vedo una statua nitida come se mi stesse di fronte. La forma e il perfetto atteggiamento e misura. Devo solo strappare via le pareti ruvide che imprigionano quell'amabile apparizione. Michelangelo Bonarroti. Envisioned and directed by Nancy Allison and with choreography of Laura Boatto, Marmo contemplates the emergence of a work of art out of a raw material such as a block of stone, or in the case of film, out of many hours of film rushes, each having a numberless creative paths one could follow. In this podcast, Marmo's editor, Laura Capelesso, takes us through the journey of making the film, as we consider the similarity between sculpting and editing, and why she felt it necessary to emphasize polarities between matter and spirit, solidity of marble and fluidity of moving bodies. I would like to begin from the very beginnings for you of how you got involved with Marmo in the first place. That was a proposal of choreographer Laura Boato, with whom I had worked in the framework of the Biennale Danza, uh, the Dance Biennale of Venice. She asked me to, uh, to get involved in a project which was already ongoing. That was a project in which she was the choreographer uh, with Nancy Allison from New York and Nancy Allison was the producer of the whole project. So uh, she presented to me a very stimulating project they were working on, and she asked me if I wanted to get in as an editor. I was ravished by that because it was uh, a project of a performance they had been doing in Versilia, in Tuscany, from where Michelangelo took the marble he used for his works. It was a performance based on the idea of the creative process. They had been interpreting and conveying this idea uh, through the performance. And uh, the performance was finished, they had done all their work, and now, with the editing, they wanted to, to give life to the, all the material they had. And so I was ravished because Michelangelo has always been my favorite artist. And also what appealed to me was the fact that here there was a performance trying to explore the vision of a sculpture. And uh, that had to be transformed into a work of video. So uh, there were different languages 
involved and I appreciated this. I liked this very much. That was a sort of challenge for me in a, in a context, in a background, which I really liked. Did Laura, when she approached you, was she aware that Michelangelo meant a lot to you as an artist? I don't think that she was aware about Michelangelo in particular, if he was my favorite artist. But I think she's very sensitive and uh, I think she um, felt that the project might have been interesting to me mm -hmm. and uh, might have appealed to me and I might give something to the project. When you spoke originally about her approaching you, uh, you said that she gave you just a few hints about what a project is. And one thing you just mentioned is that they try to transfer the methodology and the vision of a sculptor, the way he works, into the way the film is made. And then you also uh, said that you felt the need to go back and read through many materials about Michelangelo and about the way he worked. And you also mentioned to me yesterday that you went on many of the sites in Italy to research him. Why was this extensive research into his life important to you at this stage and how did it affect the way you approached the editing process? It was really essential to get into the world of Michelangelo or at least how I feel the world of Michelangelo was. It was essential because I, I had to catch sort of energy from his works, from his vision, from his imaginative world. I really wanted to uh, to go through all, all his works, so I went to Rome, I went to Florence, and stayed in front of his works to catch uh, something that went beyond the feeling, some feelings, some emotions they, uh, the works could convey to me. And also, I well, I had the opportunity to get into the, some films on his life, to get aware of all the uh, his way of working and all the aspects, you know, of of the background, of the historical background, but also of the individual background of his life, of his attitude, of his way of being with people, of his social habits, and so on. It was important for me. I wanted to uh, to get something, to get some feeling, some energy. I had to get to the core of his work. Was there anything in specific that you found that really struck you? Yeah, uh, when I was in front of the statue of Moses in um, uh, Santa Maria in Vincoli Church, it was, well, it was a really emotional uh, moment that uh, conveyed a lot to me, this sort of power, you know, strength, and um, the connection between the power of stone and the mystic spirituality of, of stone, so matter and spirit, and the way in which he could and he managed to get a polarity together. So that was fantastic, I think. The film finishes with a quote from Michelangelo. In English it says, In every block of marble I see a statue as clearly as if I were standing in front of it. Was that quote chosen by Nancy or did you put it into the edit? 
That close was the beginning of the whole of it. That close was one of the first things we were talking about and we were discussing with Laura before and with Nancy. So it was part of the whole thing. And it was really the core of the film. So it was naturally there. And it was uh, one of the things that connected me to Michelangelo. This idea of seeing something, a work of art inside matter and trying to get all the chips out and mm. set this work of art free. You know, mm. so it, it's a sort of prison, sort of imprisoned individual that needs to be set free. Mm. So this idea of prison and freedom, you know, again, we have this polarity. And the way in which Michelangelo tries to and manages to solve this was fascinating mm. to me before and, and also to Laura and Nancy, because that was really a beginning of the whole discussion. Mm-hmm. This setting of uh, work of art free makes me think about the process of editing, because in a way that's exactly what you're doing as an editor. You're given this rushes, many, many, many hours of camera work, and then you need to sculpt something out of them. Does that relate to the way you approach editing? Definitely, definitely. And when I, when I was editing it, I, at, at least at the beginning, uh, I felt exactly this. I felt I had a lot of material and uh, it was sort of chaos. I didn't know how to to find a way into it. And, uh, and so I imagined Michelangelo in front of a block of stone. And in that block of stone, he certainly could see uh, something. But uh, there must have been a lot of possible statues, works of art, individuals coming out of stone. But he had to find the right path to get there. In a way, I felt the same process. I was there with all this material, with a lot of rushes, and all these rushes had numberless paths inside mm-hmm. it. I tried to uh, to get into a path, and then I said, "But that could that might be different. That might act in a different way. So if I get to another point and I take the the point before and I put them together, the meaning is completely different. The rhythm is completely different. So I found a little bit puzzled at the beginning. I was afraid of that, but at the same time, I was fascinated by that because." Um, That was a creative process. I tried to, uh, to, to make my way into all this material. I tested different methods. I tried to cut some parts and then paste them in different ways and other methods. So by the sounds of it, the ordering of sequences was not determined prior to your editing. You weren't given ideas of Nancy or Laura of how to approach the edit. You actually created the sequencing as we see it in the end. Yeah, definitely. Actually, that what I appreciated that was that made me really free to uh, to create was the fact that um, at the beginning, Laura told me we had imagined a sort of narrative 
uh, of the work, of the whole work. But you have to feel free not to adhere to that narrative, but you can find any other way of expressing the emotions. So feel free. So um, that was a basic starting point and uh, I really felt free. So I decided little by little to focus on certain aspects and to marginalize other aspects. Uh, but everything was there in the rushes. Uh, everything was there. So the fact that I tried to find my path inside all this material was really uh, uh, demanding and fascinating at the same time. And you speak that you decided to focus on some aspects and marginalized some other aspects. Which ones did you focus on and which ones were marginalized? So, for example, um, for me it was essential to focus on solidity, power of stone, the tactile element feature of stone. For me it was very important and I wanted to maintain this, uh, this solidity. And I wanted to emphasize polarities. So there was solidity, marble was that, and dense movement, moving bodies was something different. So I wanted to emphasize this difference, which little by little dampens into something else. I completely disregarded all the, the rushes with drone shots and I emphasized on immobility, solidity, immobility. And talking about the movement, the movements in the film are quite sensuous. Bodies of the dancers explore the relationship and the connection with the rock surfaces and also it's evident in the way that they move together because their bodies touch so it's quite a tactile way of moving and then also this haptic visuality is encouraged by the camera framing we can see quite a lot of close-ups how did you approach this idea of haptic visuality which seems quite central to the film in your editing process? And that was uh, a really essential element and uh, a, a very important uh, feature of my editing. So um, I focused on that, I liked that, and I thought that uh, would, um, would provide uh, uh, this, the, the, the feelings, the sensations, the emotions I wanted to convey. So uh, I used all the technical methods to get there. So I used closed-ups, even if, um, well, I had to reframe the rushes, but uh, I stayed there. And then I repeated some images. I repeated stones because it's sort of, okay, we're getting to the same, <laughs> to the same uh, stone, to the same point that stone is always there. <laughs> and you have to be aware of that. So I, I emphasized these aspects. And you zoomed into some images in the editing process. So some of the close-ups were actually your intervention into the image. They weren't actually recorded as a close-up originally. Yeah, I yes, definitely. I intervened in that and tried to um, yes to use some some close-ups which were not there at the beginning. This is something which I uh, I do not like to do very much. But in this case, I had to to follow another path. So I did this and I saw that it was cool, that it conveyed what I wanted to. So 
You spoke to me a bit about feeling freedom in your creative process that Nancy, in a way, entrusted the project to you. And you also spoke to me about the methodology that you used in making the film. So you decided, for instance, not to show the rough cuts to Nancy as you were editing it, but to wait only until the project was fully edited and you were happy with the edit to actually show the work to her. Why is this working methodology important to you that you have this space before somebody else enters it? And how did Nancy respond to that as a director of the film? Well, I think this uh, is something very important to me. And I discovered it while doing it because I didn't know that. I felt that I had to to have a complete uh, freedom in uh, uh, in in making uh, choices, in trying some paths and then getting back and then trying something different without justification, just to, to test and then leave the project for some days and then get back to it. I feel that in this part of the process, I need to be alone with myself. It's a sort of uh, a very fresh material, which is not consolidated. And uh, I can be influenced by opinions, ideas, and so on. But if I'm not uh, strong in my ideas, because I, I'm not sure of what I've done, uh, it's difficult for me to maintain a balance and to, to, to get the objective. So I prefer to, uh, to work on it, to have the time and, and freedom to work on it and get to a certain point, which is okay, it's a draft, it's rough material, but it's almost finished. I mean, it has reached almost completed structure. If I'm satisfied with that structure, uh, which I have reached, uh, okay, I can discuss. And I'm very happy to discuss with other people, uh, with Nancy, with Laura. It's very, it's very enriching. But I have to get to that moment. Mm. If it's before, it compromises a little bit the whole uh, editing for me. It's real courage also from Nancy's point of view that she entrusted the project in such a way to you as a director and maybe it even didn't require courage because she fully really found her editor that she could have given this project to. She felt that you are taking the project in the right direction. And speaking about trust, we also spoke about this importance of trust a bit yesterday, not only in regards to this project, but also in regards of the way that you work with other filmmakers and other creative people on the films that you direct. It's almost like founding the right team of people that you feel are all working on the same project and you can let them do their work without needing to constantly tell them what to do. What does uh, this concept of trust mean in your practice? Well, I think this is a very essential uh, issue. And uh, I think that if I choose an artist to help me, for example, or if I choose an artist and I propose a project to, to an artist, or uh, for in my case, if I choose a director of photography or uh, a choreographer or something like that, it's essential that I choose that person because I know how she or he works. I know the person and his professional value. And I stop there. 
So what is important then, I said, okay, this is my team and I trust these people. And what is important is to, to share a vision. I think this is really the most basic and essential element, not only at the beginning, but throughout the whole project. So to, to share and continue to share the vision. When you have a very strong vision together and you trust people doing that, it's okay. Everyone is free to, to give what he has to the project, to provide, to enrich the project. Uh, but I think there are different ways of, uh, different methods, methodologies of work. I think the, it depends on the, um, on the character of the persons, of the attitudes. Mm. For me, this is essential. Mm. I couldn't do that in another way. Mm. And then you also spoke in relation to Marmo, how every different edit, every different way of putting the sequences and images into sequences would create a particular rhythm. So I'd like to speak a bit about the rhythm that you found for the film, what affected that particular pace. Was it already there in the way that dancers moved? Because it seems to me like they move very slowly. Or is that the effect of your edit? There was a rhythm originally in the performance, and that rhythm conformed with the vision I had and we shared. So I felt that rhythm was really the good rhythm. Anyway, um, I made some choices uh, sometimes, and also I put the scenes into, as I said, a sort of narrative, very light narrative, but uh, which was not completely the narrative at the beginning of the performance, so because I made some choices. The rhythm was at the beginning of the performance, but uh, I intervened some, in some way. I used the rhythm to convey the idea the film had to convey in my vision. And the music came only after you actually found the musicians and you suggested them to Nancy and she liked them and you took the edit to them. Before we go and talk about who they are, I'm also curious whether while you were editing, although there wasn't a music attached to the project at that stage, were you already hearing some sort of music? Were you imagining the kind of music that could eventually become part of it? Well, actually, um, I imagined uh, not really music, but uh, sounds. I mean, what was important for me at that moment was the essentiality, uh, stone, uh, matter, the essential elements without music, with silence. And little by little, I imagined some sounds, music, getting into it more, you know, so uh, that came spontaneously, but uh, I, I, I can't really um, define it, I couldn't define it, I didn't know, maybe it was some sort of feeling, but uh, I couldn't define it. And how did you then eventually come to the musicians that you chose? Uh, that was interesting because uh, I had known Bottega Baltazar some months before. They were playing under an oak, <laughs> under a, a huge oak uh, in the countryside. And it was really a, a very good landscape. And uh, with this sort of particular music, 
And so I was fascinated by by their music, by and also by their attitude, by their by their choices. They choose some particular uh, sites to play. They don't do great concerts, you know, big concerts, but all these small concerts in, in particular places in the mountains, always connected with the countryside. So there is always this element of uh, uh, nature which I appreciated very much. So, um, and why was this element relevant to Marmo in your view? I couldn't say. I couldn't tell that. I, I mean, I, I really don't uh, don't know. But I felt that was the right the right thing to do, and I felt that it matched uh, perfectly. It was as if they had been chosen. They had to be there. I said, okay. I think they might create something absolutely fitting with the um, with the vision of the film. I felt we had a sort of common vision. But actually, I was not sure. I mean, uh, it was a feeling. Uh, but I want to trust this feeling. Mm. I trusted them, again. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and so I talked uh, about, about them to, to Laura and to Nancy, and uh, they, they listened to some uh, music by them, and they appreciated it. Mm. So... Talking about having a feeling for something, so you had an intuition. What role does intuition play in your work? Well, <laughs> a very important role. <laughs> well, and also I try to encourage this. <laughs> uh, I try to encourage intuition and uh, less uh, reason, maybe. <laughs> Again, we have a polarity. I don't want to, to rely on polarities, but... <laughs> But in a way, uh, here we have. And uh, in the creative process, I always rely on intuition. And then I try to understand, understand so rationally, why I had that intuition. I try to do this, the both, uh, to use both uh, faculties. Is there a particular process that you employ in order to encourage the intuitive aspect within yourself, something that brings you into this space of intuition, especially in times when maybe you're under a deadline, when things try to remove you from this space of intuition. What do you do then? Well, um, I, I need uh, to have uh, to take my time. I need to take my time. So I know there are deadlines, but uh, if I uh, have to do a work uh, and uh, I can do it in a certain with a certain quality, I really need my time. And so I need my time to to read something about, uh, in this case, Michelangelo, to to watch the films about him, to go and and stay in front of his works. So I need to to do that, and uh, I try to to leave the emotions work in me. I just put myself in the situation where I know that there might come some emotions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I leave the emotions work. That's why I need time. Before you sit down to edit a film, is there a certain ritual that you have um, <laughs> I'll take my time, I'll try to relax, and um, I'll try to be uh, with a fresh mind. 
That's all. Going back into the music involvement of Bottega, Baltazar, so you took the edit to them. What were the few sentences that you shared with them at that point and what was their initial reaction to the film? Okay, that was um, a really uh, fascinating meeting because uh, um, I went to meet them in Padova where they live. I had my computer to show them the video. I had some books, actually I had a book of the Uh, a novel on the biography of Michelangelo, uh, where I had take some comments of some interesting sentences or something which was connected with music, with rhythm, uh, with the music of the hammer, the chisel, and so on, that, that had really appealed to me when I read that. And uh, I said, okay, this is very interesting for the music. I have to comment on it, to underline it, and uh, show the musicians. And so I went there and I tried to explain to them the whole project and the vision. Again, here, uh, what was important was the vision. So uh, what I wanted to convey and uh, the role of music and the film. And I knew they would understand because, as I said, we share the common vision in a way. At one point in the film, very subtly and almost seamlessly, the film transitions from black and white into color. When was this creative choice made to have this transition? Was it something that Nancy always had in mind? Or did this choice to transition from black and white into the color came to you during the editing? Well, actually, the film was in color. I began to edit it in color, But after one of my visits in Rome, in which I was in contact with stone and with the statues of Michelangelo, I said, no, I can't edit it in color. I have to edit it in black and white. Black and white, the essential colors, I mean, essentiality, even here, I felt that black and white might have been an opportunity for the editing to convey the emotions of the film. So it is. it was very different to see the film in color and then the film in black and white. And when I tried, I said, okay, let's try. I, <laughs> I turned to, to black and white. I said, okay, okay. Uh, it's completely uh, different and it's the right thing to do. And when I show it to Nancy and Laura, they were enthusiastic. They said, oh, super, that's great, that's a good, really. And, and so that was an assumption that, okay, it was like that. But then I felt, along with the editing, I felt that at a certain moment, this black and white gradually changed and it had to get some color. I don't know what happened, I don't know why, but as long as the, the work of art, the performer, grew in a way, she took her form, and so I felt that the color had to be introduced there, because it was a change. It was sort of, okay, now she's getting to, to the world, she's ready for the world, and uh, it was something that approached her to us in a, in a different way. So I felt that was the natural end of the process. And how did working on this particular project 
and having this experience of connecting with the artist that has meant so much to you throughout your life changed your subsequent creative projects? I think that this project, which was very important to me, and the first project where I was not the director, that was very important for me as a person and also for me and in a professional way uh, because I had the opportunity to go through methodologies, methods. I experimented, I tested some editing methods and I became more aware of the emotions that each editing choice may produce. The emotions that a cut in a particular moment can provoke or the use of repetition may provoke, or the use of black and white may provoke. And this is, this is extremely useful from a professional point of view. And from a personal point of view, it was very important, a good experience in sharing all the different points of view of the three of us. We all shared the same vision, but uh, there were different points of view in some elements, some scenes, different ways of approaching to some scenes, different feelings. And it was extremely useful to share all these different visions because I became aware of something different and I got to uh, negotiate uh, sometimes and to justify uh, my vision and to understand the vision of the others. So it was useful. Mm. I know that at one point early on in your filmmaking practice, and maybe that's how you even got into filmmaking, you were quite engaged with Arab cinema, especially Moroccan New Wave cinema. And I'm wondering whether this exposure to this particular style of filmmaking, particular aesthetic, has left any effect on your own work? Well, um, I, I don't really know. I've not thought about it very much. It's something that I have uh, lived, that I have uh, integrated into my feeling, into my uh, way of, of seeing films, of making films. Uh, but... Uh, I think uh, there is an aesthetic feature of these films that has really passed to my way of making films, maybe. Is there a particular thing that you recognize? Well, I think colors, uh, the large uh, range of colors uh, which the films I watched had, but also one element about color is movement, dance, which... Uh, uh, was very present in many films. There was always this element of uh, movement, of songs, as part of life, as part of the social rituals of life and uh, very embedded in life. So I, I got this element. And what role does dance play in your life personally? Um, I like movement and dance very, very much. I'm not a dancer, unfortunately, at least uh, not uh, institutionally, <laughs> in a way. Uh, but uh, I think movement and, uh, and the body and the, the discovery 
of the body in movement is an essential element. And also to discover the connection between the movement of the body and the mobility, the solidity of of other parts of the world. I mean, of stone in, in this case. Uh, I like this, yeah. Thank you for listening to Dance Cinema Podcast, where we feature conversations with the makers of dance films and videos. From directors to dancers, cinematographers to editors, costume to sound designers. To watch their videos, head to dancecinema.org.